You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm super excited today to have a friend on the podcast who I met four or five years ago. And there's a really funny story. Maybe we'll get to it on this podcast or not. But I want to introduce my friend, Scott Salkin, who we're going to talk a little bit about scalable demand gen tactics. So, Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Asher. Excited to be here. Do we tell them the story now or towards the later part of this podcast oh, so the people yeah, listen to the whole thing? Let's get to the let's get to the meat first and see if we have time for stories later. <laughs> all right, fantastic. Well, this podcast is all about helping VPs around the world get better at their gigs, understand new concepts, apply them, and lead their teams. And so, Scott, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about, about who you are and how you got to where you are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, Scott Salkin. So I'm I'm a Gainsight. I've been a Gainsight for about three years now. Honestly, I, I like to start by saying I'm an entrepreneur at heart. You know, I've I've been in the you know high tech industry for you know almost almost 20 years now. Started my career at Cisco Systems. Then a couple of years after that, joined a startup. And you know, when I was about 24 years old, launched my first company, a B2B uh, marketing agency. I thought I thought I knew what I was doing. Boy, was I wrong. Um, but uh, but I started a B two B marketing agency and ended up doing that for for a little over ten years, working with some of the you know biggest technology companies in the world, some of the Fortune one hundreds that you'll know about there, the Cisco's, VMware's, NetApp's, and then also a lot of kind of smaller and earlier stage startups. After that, you know, we we I started working with a lot of companies that actually had channel partner programs, and so we were building these really cool custom portals for a lot of folks. And uh, it was kind of one of those stories you always hear. All of a sudden, you realize you might have a software p- platform. And so I lost a company called Allbound a few years after that, ran that for several years, had a little exit from there. And um, a good friend of mine was on my board, a guy named Anthony Kennedy, former CMO of Gainsight. And Anthony came to me a few years ago and said, hey, why don't you come and help us do some things around partners and BD? And I joined and have had a few different roles there right now and working on launching something big and new over at Gainsight here in the coming months. Fantastic. Well, let's dive in. So this podcast is about scalable demand gen tactics. But let's start with from the top. Let's talk about early stage demand gen tactics and then focus, uh, move to the other pieces. So tell us your thoughts. Early stage demand gen. I mean, I think a lot of companies, you know, go into early stage demand gen thinking that it's just about going out there and, you know, banging on the phones. And I think, you know, it's, there's so much, there's so much more to it when it comes to getting folks to actually listen to your story and want to actually have a conversation with you. And I think you look at a lot of different types of companies out there and 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 I've been at ones who struggled to get off the ground and now some that have gotten off the ground and built huge categories from ground zero. And I think the difference is whether or not A, you have something that can really deliver value and outcome for your customers, and B, how well you can communicate that specific value and outcomes to the right personas that you're going after. I think a lot of folks go straight into demand generation and they forget about kind of this other side that's really critical and it doesn't have to be a chicken or the egg side of thing, but the other side is product marketing. 
And product marketing is really getting to understand your buyers, nailing your value proposition and working hand in hand with the demand gen function to make sure that you're actually not just building the right story, but then leveraging the right channels to get it out to market. So that if you are hitting the phones and if you are putting a good outbound method out there, as well as kind of your inbound, that those things are working together and resonating really well. So um, so that's one thing that, that, that I think is important to hit on, that demand gen is critical. I mean, you need leads in order to start growing your company. But the best way to, to, to start generating the right leads, the most efficient way to do it, the way that's going to keep your CAC down is to, is to go out there and make sure you have the right value prop and you're hitting the right audiences also. So, so I think that product marketing side of things is really critical also. And I think a lot of early stage companies forget that. Yeah. So I want to pause and just make sure that people understand there's a difference between lead gen and demand gen. And lead gen is specifically, you can actually pick up the yellow pages and get a bunch of names and that could be considered lead gen. Or you could go to a trade show and get everybody, scan anybody and everybody on on the floor and that would also be considered lead gen. But demand gen is actually about creating demand for your product. That's where the narrative, the messaging, who Mm -hmm. you're going to target, why, what value they're going to get out of it, like all of those things become important. That's also where inbound starts from. Yeah, Scott. And I think a lot. I think that's a great point. I mean, I think a lot of folks forget that there's a difference between those two things, and they go straight to lead gen. They go right to hiring a couple of SDRs, building some email campaigns, lighting up a couple, you know, lighting up HubSpot or, or a platform to help them start sending some things out, and they go straight to the lead gen side of things while forgetting about kind of you know the core principles that go behind it. Hundred percent. And if you're struggling with both lead gen or demand gen, and you're not a marketer and you don't fully understand it please go to your marketing team and sit down with them and understand it. And I say this respectfully because a lot of us executives who don't understand marketing then get caught up in what is marketing doing. That's not the right thing to do. The right thing to do is actually you go to them, sit down and understand why they're doing what they're doing. And when they say demand gen, just make sure that how they're defining demand gen, you fully understand. Cool. All right. So we get through the demand gen, as you're saying, is you need product marketing. You need help with making sure your message for boards and and your content arcs and like like all that stuff is built out, right? But how do you get started, right? Like like you have all this content, you have all this assets. Like what do you, what do you do? Yeah, I think the question is, do you have the content? Do you have the assets? I think you know I think a lot of folks forget that you know there's also kind of the whole other side of this in terms of figuring out like what your funnel looks like. What does a qualified opportunity look like for you? Um, you know we've we've gone through a lot of different kind of iterations of what that what that can mean and um, and figuring out kind of the science behind how you go to market as well. So, you know, how are you going to structure your funnel? Is it going to be based on, you know, inquiries at the AQLs, MQLs, SQLs? We all have all these terms, acronyms that we use to define our funnel, but, but what does that actually look like and how are you going to feed each stage of it? And so if you know you have to get to a certain amount of, let's just say, sales qualified leads at an average sales or average dollar size per lead to hit a sales goal that you have to start being able to, to, to grow the company. How do you calculate that back into the very top of the funnel? And how then do you start feeding that top of the funnel? So I think it's important for folks to, to be able to kind of understand what their funnel looks like as well, or, what, or at least what that first version of their funnel looks like. Because the first version isn't going to be the last version by any means. But once you can start defining that as well, you start figuring out the types of programs and types of activities that you want to start, you know, executing on to be able to get there. And a lot of it is just starting with hypotheses, experimenting, figuring out what works, looking at the data and going back and doing things that that are that are resonating well and doing less of the things that aren't. 
and continuing to always tweak. And I think that's one thing that you have to be willing to do is be willing to, to make changes and, and just when you see things aren't working by leveraging the data. But I see a lot of folks also who don't give some things enough time to bake. Folks who launch campaigns and, you know, let's just say you're, you're running a, an executive door opening campaign, you're trying to get into the VPs or C-levels at certain types of companies and a certain geography and you run this campaign and the first 10, 15 folks don't reply to it. Well, then they give up and decide to start something something new. And so I think there's a difference between throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks versus actually going out there and experimenting with data and giving things time to resonate to see if they're working well. And so I think too often you see folks just doing the, the, the former, throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks and not taking the data, not taking the information that's coming back to them from the campaigns or from the surveys or sort of for the activities that they're doing to get out to market and actually then going and adjusting based on those. It's easy to do when you have, you know, it's, it's easier to do when you're focused on more of kind of just a, a digital type of program and digital campaigns where the data is more, more ready. But, but there's also other ways to do that with different types of go-to-market strategies as well. So you got to take a look at your channels. Most often when you're early stage, use the ones that you can measure really easily. And I think then try, try and figure out and really pay close attention to what's working and what's not with the data. Well said. And I want to get your opinion on something. So for companies that have product-led growth, for example, right? Yeah. A lot of times people say, well, you know, conversion isn't happening and it's a pricing problem. Yeah. But my opinion is actually, that's it's not a pricing problem. It's, a, it's actually an experience problem. And pricing is just one part of that experience. And so you have to be thoughtful about the experience similar to what you just said. Yeah, I think, the, I think it's the entire journey. I think especially when you're a product-led growth company, your product isn't just your product. Your product is your website. Your product is your marketing. Your product is your strategy. Your product is the entire end-to-end experience from the time someone comes in first you know, has an experience with your brand all the way to the point that they actually, you know, go through the entire process and, and engage or request a free trial, go through a proof of concept or whatnot. So I think um, I think a lot of folks just think of their product as being their product and then just tweak the pricing or tweak where the button is for the free trial or maybe change the words in the free trial to free POC. And they forget to, to kind of all the other parts that go along with that. So let's move to the next stage. So we're done with early stage demand gen. And it's demand gen, not lead gen, i.e. the yellow pages uploaded into our marketing automation system, right? <laughs> so, sorry, I mean, you're laughing, but I know people that have done that, and I'm sure you do too. <laughs> so let's talk about category creation, right? Which is the, which is what you said is the next step, right? After you get out of the basic awareness problem. Yeah, I, I've been lucky to be at a company, Gainsight, that is truly a category creator and, and to I've worked with folks like Anthony Canada and Nick and some other folks that are out there who, you know, Nick, Anthony wrote a book a few years ago on category creation, which I definitely recommend checking out if you haven't, that talks about how they kind of built the category around customer success. And, you know, so much around this has been around, you know, it's been focused not just on the category and the technology around customer success itself. It's starting earlier than that and it's getting more personal around it. And so, by personal, I mean, it's it's actually helping guide folks through the, their profession. I mean, Gainsight, the company, has almost been like a career companion for a lot of folks in customer success as much as Gainsight, the technology. And so think about how that 
builds relationships with folks in the market because you're building a category where it's all about is the humans that you're impacting. And so what Gainsight did early on and what a lot of focus companies do early on is they focus as much on the community and the individuals that they're trying to impact and that they're trying to work with as selling just technology itself. Technology is not going to build a category. A tool is not going to build a category. It's everything around it that's ancillary around people, around the, around the profession, around the community that really ends up building that. It's driving conversations. It's connecting people. It's things like connecting people to jobs, connecting people to other like-minded folks. You know, those connecting people to mentorship. Those are the things I think that really help drive community, which in turn then build categories, which in turn then figure out that they need technology to help automate some of the workflows that they have in their day-to-day jobs. And that's how that kind of whole flywheel starts. I couldn't agree more with you because companies which are product companies, right? And even services companies need to take it. And especially, I would say, actually, I'll take both of this back. Mission-driven companies get to success because they care about the personal and professional success of their consumers. And yeah. one way to take care of that is the product. Absolutely, yeah. And the other way, yeah, the one way to take care of that is the product. And, you know, like you said before, mission-driven companies, you know, Gainsight's always had a mission. They've always had strong values behind it. And you kind of, you know, blend those into everything that goes into the category. And people have grabbed onto that as they've continued to grow, you know. And so when you see, I think, rewarding days for Gainsight in its history was a couple of years ago when, you know, it wasn't when we hit a certain revenue threshold. It was when the customer success profession became the fifth fastest growing in the world, according to LinkedIn. Think about all the jobs, the economy you know, that was created through this category that Gainsight helped is amazing. That is yes. what's going to you know, be the true tale sign of, of something that's going to, you know, continue to support both the, the profession itself, as well as companies like Gainsight. And even some of the other players out there in the market here or there now, who are now competitive of, competitors of, our, who, who, of ours who are growing the pie. You know, so as an example of in order for us to continue to grow our TAM, there's got to be other folks coming into the category as well. And so that's when you start seeing some of that health. You're actually feeding and bringing in community. The first few years we did our conference, Pulse. Pulse was very much a community-driven event. It wasn't a gain side event. We had competitors in there. We had thought leaders in there. We had folks from all across the industry in there, you know, and it was really about growing the profession of customer success which we then fed off of later and continue yep. to, to leverage and, and continue to grow the, the category itself. 300 people were at the first Pulse nine years ago. We just wrapped up our um, Pulse Everywhere conference with, with over 20,000. So it just shows you how those things um, make an impact. And you guys actually did a, did a fantastic job in the naming the conference with intention, right? Like Pulse is actually a fantastic name because it feeds back into your mission. And I would say... Too many times I've seen C-level folks just brush off the naming of things yeah. with and just say, oh, yeah, it's just a name. It'll catch on. Let's do demand gen. Let's do SEO. It'll figure, it'll figure itself out, right? That's actually not correct, right? Because the correct way to do it is to actually think about what does every little word stand for when you're going to take it out in the road. Yeah, and I'll take absolutely zero credit for that because I was I was here when that happened. But I remember when I heard you know Gainsight was launching this conference called Pulse, and Nick was speaking, and they had Jeffrey Moore, the author from Crossing the Chasm, who I think you know most folks listening today will probably have, have heard of Jeffrey Moore if you haven't. His book Crossing the Chasm is like kind of like the early kind of like playbook around building a SaaS company, and he's he's just an amazing guy. But I saw this thing and they launched this, this event called Pulse. And I'm like, man, how much, how much more perfect can you get in terms of monitoring yes. the health and the health scores of your customers to start a conference called Pulse? And 
to, to blend in everything they did in terms of the brand and the community they brought together. It's just, just an amazing job. And it's, it's exciting to be more of a part of it today. Yes, no, totally. So I have one question for you. I was advised that if you're not going to go create a category, and maybe you should think very hard about actually why you want to create a category, it's almost always better to play an existing category yeah. and then compete there. Thoughts? Sure. Creating a cat, being the category creator isn't necessarily always being the category winner. I mean, how many times have we seen folks who have created categories end up not being the company that so-called conquers the category? And so that just tells you that there is plenty of room in existing categories and existing industries for new players to come in. If again, kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation, we were talking about demand gen and product marketing. If they can deliver something to the market that's groundbreaking, that provides value and outcomes in a way that their customer or the, or the target market that they're going after cannot achieve today in a way that's as efficient or as effective. So I think no matter where you're at, you know, it's not always in order to start a new company, it's not always about just creating the new category. I think sometimes in all intents and purposes, sometimes it's about building the better widget. I think a lot of folks, you're seeing that in a lot of different markets today. And, and you're seeing a lot of folks go into some categories that, and this is the way innovation happens, that I think it was Lemkin, you know, Jason Lemkin, who wrote this years ago, if there's a spreadsheet, there's a category. If there's a spreadsheet, there's a SaaS platform that can be built. So there's so many opportunities that can go into existing ones and building a brand, building a strategy around it, getting to know the buyers really well and positioning yourself in a way where, where the, the, the market looks at you differently or where you resonate really differently towards, um, towards that audience. That's now, the- get back to the point that I think if there's anything that we've learned that's really critical over the last in the last two years, and I may be a little bit biased because of the company that I work for being you know, the customer success company, it's the fact that it's all about the outcomes you can deliver for your customers. If you can justify and operationalize the outcomes that you're delivering for your customers and the value that you're providing for them in a very clear way, and then articulate that at the front end towards your demand generation, lead generation, and, and sales cycle, then there is something there that you have. And so whether you're creating the category or you're joining an existing category, those that I think that one thing is what ties those ties all those vast aspects together. It has to be your ability to to deliver outcomes and be able to prove those outcomes, and in a way, you know, operationalize them, make them repetitive as well. Well, let's talk about scaling the demand gen function. So now you you've done all the early stage stuff, and then you decided to go create a category. Awesome! Now you have the category, right? And now yeah. you're known for it. Now you have to scale because this engine, it needs food, and that food comes in the form of leads. And so so how do you scale? Like, what are your tips and tricks there? Yeah, I mean, and I don't know if it's necessarily just, if there are necessarily tricks. I don't know if there's necessarily things that are, that are groundbreaking right now, but I think there are very core functions of a marketing team that have to be very well-oiled machines. And I think that they go back to, again, scaling out product marketing at the beginning, making sure you've got a content engine there to support it, Making sure that as you start getting customers, the most important thing you can do with those customers is turn them into advocates and leverage them. And then actually, you know, I think the other side of it is you start thinking more about mid-funnel. And so the middle of your funnel as you begin to scale becomes way more important to you. And so then you start to look at things like, how are we doing sales enablement? How are we, how are we making sure the sales team is armed with the right tools, content, resources, messaging to be able to move deals through the pipeline? 
what are some things you're doing to support the bottom of the funnel in terms of, you know, customer marketing, such as like, such as advocacy and onboarding and, um, and things that actually kind of uh, somewhat more mature marketing teams start to do in terms of making sure that the right references are there, the right success stories and case studies are there. So how are you leveraging those types of things? There, there are all these things that you start thinking about in different ways. Marketing always in so many organizations starts as demand generation. If they're lucky, it starts with PMM and demand generation, if they're thinking about it the right way. Then it starts kind of moving into, okay, mid-funnel and what are the sort of things we start to do there? Maybe start getting into a little bit more, you know, account-based marketing because you're going up market or there's some accounts you really want to get into. So you start getting very more, you go from kind of a one-to-many type of marketing engine and you slowly like start to migrate towards a one-to-few. And then even maybe if you get more mature, you get to a one-to-one type of type of marketing engine. So you're, you know, you're doing campaigns where you may build a microsite and an email marketing campaign and, and a landing page and all these things specifically for one company. And you're running ads for one company. And so you're doing things like that. And those are the things that I see a lot of companies start to do as they mature, as well as, as like I mentioned before, start getting really programmatic around that mid-funnel, around that sales enablement, around that tighter alignment with the sales team. And those are things that I see folks starting to do to scale. And so and th- so then it's starting to figure out, like, what are the things that are help grow our TAM? And so our total addressable market. And that's where companies start thinking about how do we go into other verticals? How do we go into other geos? How do we leverage channel partners? How do we do partner marketing? All these other things that as you start kind of figuring out your own flywheel, you start taking that flywheel and applying it to other parts of your business as well. So those are starts some of the things I think that are really important as you mature. Again, I think there's there's no magic bullet. There's a million tips and tricks and things like that that you could that I've learned from and that you know you can you can reiterate that other folks have said. But I think it's just kind of looking at the a lot of times it's 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 doing the basics really well. That was fantastic because we actually went from early stage all the way to to scaling the demand gen function. Now I know we had decided to cover just these three topics, but. One thing that I was thinking about that once you have scaled, right, and say you've got all these engines running and then you start to hit a plateau, what do you do then? Oh, that's a good question. When you start to hit a plateau, you've got to reevaluate. And when I say reevaluate, it's not necessarily looking back and changing everything because it's not working. I think it's just a matter of most important things is going and talking to your customers and going and talking to the folks that are out in the field and and learning from your sales team and, and actually having conversations with the market that's out there and starting to to hear you know what might be the reason that you're not getting the response that you got before. So I think that's really important. I think the other thing to, to, to go and look at when you feel like you may have hit a plateau is whether or not you have the right processes and the right core functions in your marketing team to help you continue to grow. Because oftentimes, you know, it's like if you if you build the right flywheel, flywheels don't stop. You know, what flywheels do is they start to lose momentum because you're not pushing hard enough or you're not pushing at the right place hard enough. So oftentimes it's just about reevaluating some of those core areas and going back again. If that, some of those core areas is the messaging and, the, and the, you know, the personas that you're marketing to, are there changes in the pain points or the needs of the core personas that you're marketing to? If their pain points have changed, if the needs of their day-to-day job have changed, if other things that you know, are in their day-to-day work environment have progressed or, or evolutionized over the years, have you done the same thing to keep up with that? So I think those are the important things to really go back and make sure you're always keeping an eye and ear on what's happening with your company customer base on those core personas and that your messaging isn't just isn't just something that's a set it and forget it type of thing either that you're always evolving it and 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 keeping it aligned with the market so you know the other thing we haven't talked about at all here is is stack you know is what your tech stack looks like and i think it's that's the other area are you still leveraging the technology the tools and resources that are the right ones for your business 
And those change. Those change based on the size of your company. Those based on type of market that you're going after. Those can change based on geography. Those can change based on strategy. So, so it's, I think it's always good to, on probably a yearly basis, go back and stack rank and really reevaluate the things that are important in driving the engine that you, that you have to drive demand. We're going to need a whole podcast just to talk about the tech stack because my yeah. my new opinion is that there's a tech stack and then there's a data stack. And you have to think about both of those things and be intentional about them because too many times leaders spend a lot of time on the tech stack but totally don't focus on data. And the data is actually the connective tissue between sales and marketing. The incentives are too, but the data really brings the two, two unit, units together. But yeah. it, I feel like that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I think you start to see more. There's a term that's it was a term. There is a term that's been around for a long time. Customer data platform. CDP. Yep. It's not CDP is not CRM and CDP is not Marketo or, or HubSpot or whatever your market automation database is. Yep. The CDP is where you bring all that data together. And that's kind of like yep. the data stack that you're talking about. Yep. And CDP used to be a term that was really only used in B2C. But you're starting to see customer data platforms really play a bigger and bigger role in um, yep. in B2B now. And I think CIOs, CTOs, a lot of folks are thinking more about the customer data platform and who owns it. And it used to be that the CIO owned the CDP. Now you're seeing more and more marketing on it. So I think that's a really important point to make. And, and that's something that a lot of folks have to take into, uh, into consideration. Well, great. Well, this was fantastic. Is there a resource that you can recommend, a book, blog, newsletter, website, or video to our audience? I'm actually going to recommend one that I actually just read recently. We had an offsite with our leadership team, and I've mentioned okay. the term flywheel a few times. You know, I think a lot of folks here know who Jim Collins is. They've read yep. Good Great. They've read a lot of his books. He's got another one called The Flywheel Effect. That's just all about building your flywheel as an organization. And it comes a lot from, from kind of some Amazon best practices as they built the company. And there's a lot of good things in there. But being able to really define the flywheel and understand what it is that keeps your engine going and how you then apply that and expand it to different areas, I think is really important. It's an easy read. It's about 40 pages. I think it took me one flight between Phoenix to San Francisco to get through. So, so yeah, Flywheel Effect is a great one by Jim Collins. Fantastic. Well, we always ask people if they could recommend three other people in B2B tech or that either lead go-to-market or data science or other, as long as there's leaders, uh, that you would recommend we bring onto the show to you. So do you have a couple, few names for us? Yeah, for sure. Um, man, there's a lot. I'll start with our CEO, Nick. Nick Meta. You know, Nick is... You know, when it comes to category creation, when it comes to some of the things we've done here at Gainsight, when it comes to really evangelizing his belief in something around customer success, which is another big piece of that whole that whole category creation piece. I mean, Nick is, has has amazing stories to tell. Alongside Nick, you have to mention Anthony Canada, who was a CMO in the early days of Gainsight, spent his first eight years building the company here, turned Pulse from a 300-person event to a 6,000-person conference at the Moscone Center. So those two guys, I think, are unbelievable the other one, you know, guy who I got to meet early on when I started my first SaaS company is Rowan Trollope. Rowan was the CEO of Five Nine, or is the CEO of Five Nine. They just got acquired. He helped build the whole um, unified communication strategy at Cisco. Just a brilliant guy. I had a chance to meet him when I went through an accelerator program in San Francisco called Accelerprise, and I've always just been blown away by him. Not only is he like a brilliant guy, he's just one of the nicest guys I've ever met. So Rowan's really great. Third one I'll mention, just never had a chance to meet him. Always admired him. Love his, not only his strategic mind, but also his sense of humor and just kind of his um, values and his, the way he just kind of, you know, presents himself out there and, and, and carries himself as Dharma Shah over at, over at HubSpot. I've just always been, you know, he and Brian Halligan, I mean, 
what can you say? I mean, but Darmish, I just think is, is amazing. So always been a big fan. So I think those three and four, if you include AK, I think the, those four are great. Yeah, I remember an- meeting Anthony when you guys were doing the first Sasters event yeah. uh, that Gainsight did. And and it was super... He may have been wearing a cape that year because I remember... I, there I think was- so too. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I remember that. And, and he was super duper nervous and, and I'm like, hey, it's going to be okay. And then that session was packed. And, yeah, uh, and and it was standing room only, and then and then and then he was super happy after that, and so and that's when yeah. I when I got to know him. So yeah, they're definitely. I mean, thanks for those uh, recommendations. All fantastic people. We'll reach out to them and see if they're interested in coming onto the show and helping other VPs around the world out. For sure. So last question. I'm sure, given all the knowledge that you've dropped in this podcast, people are going to have questions, and if they do, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, you know, always LinkedIn. LinkedIn just just. At Scott Salkin, you know, I'm there. So um, just uh, find me on LinkedIn. Feel free to connect, shoot me a note. Always happy to, you know, have a conversation, learn more about folks. So yeah, that's the best way to do it. Fantastic. Should we, well, talk, Scott, about, uh, should we talk about Crunchy? Well, I was just going to say, right? Like, like, how did we meet? Oh my goodness, man. We met at Saster, right? Yes. Jen, Sp- so yes. I had a VP of marketing in my SaaS company. She's a lot of folks may have heard her name before, Jen Spencer and Jen and Asher. I think you may have been on one of our podcasts back when we were doing the channel podcast. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And, uh, and then we got to, to meet and hook up over at Saster. You know, Asher and I definitely uh, started a company together yeah, over those two or three days. I think the first idea was we were, it was pouring at Saster that year. Yes. And, you know, we were going to start the Uber of umbrellas. That unfortunately yes. didn't work out. Although, you know, we tried to raise some money for it during those, you know, two or three days. But, but then Crunchy came along and, uh, it was, it was crispy first. Oh, I'm first sorry. Uh, Crunchy put us out of business because crispy. Yeah, crispy. Yes. Crispy yeah. So, so, so we the, the way the story goes is we said we're going to hang out at Saster and we're going to create a company and we're going to pitch the company to a few people and see if people are interested, right? And so just to see, you know, because everybody says work on your go to market first, don't work on your product. So we said let's go pitch people, and so we said, well, here's our tagline: we're going to create a we're we're going to create a company that is a mashup of artificial intelligence and machine learning and we're going to call it crisp.ai and it's going to be crispy and, crispy. and it was a c-r-i-s-p.ai right a crispy basically we we're going to pronounce it crispy so we actually went at some party and started talking about it and we had like legit interest but what's even more really impressive people interested in crispy yeah, and, and what's, what's more impressive is Scott pulls up his phone and starts drawing, and he's like, here, we actually have a logo. And then at that point in time, I'm like, wait, this is going to be amazing. And we we actually started right. pitching the pitching the, the concept. And then we're, the, remember the CRO of Recurly back then, right? <laughs> and he was super interested. And then, no. and then he says, he comes up and says, hey, I'm actually interested. And I'm like, wait, Scott, this could be a real idea. Yeah, and then Crunchy came and took us out. Yeah, I know. Well, what's even more interesting is on the 101, I think a few months later, and I think I, I remember like sending you a picture or something like that. Was there was literally a sign that says, yeah. here's a mashup of artificial intelligence and machine learning. And yeah. I'm like, Scott, we had the idea. We had it, man. We had it. Yeah. Got it. Those, those, those are some fun times. I, mean, I, told, I was hanging out with you. It was, it was great. Yeah, and then we had at your conference as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Allbound did our conference called Collaborate. That was a joy. <laughs> yeah, no, this, this that is, was when this people is. could see each other in person. We'll yeah. do We're doing it again here soon. Yeah, and, and you had somebody from um, from that show 
the show with with the uh, remember that that the keynote person? Oh, I was... had um, Robert Urshivek from yes. uh, from Shark Tank. Yes, yes. Yeah, Robert Urshivek was there. We had Nick Meta as a speaker, so Nick was. Yes. I mean, we got you know it's our first time we ever did a conference. We were trying to you know we went into a category partner relationship management. But we were trying to disrupt the category, and no one was doing a good conference at least. And we yes. brought in Robert Urshivek. We brought in a bunch of speakers from Silicon Valley. Brought them all to Phoenix. Yep. Got about 450 people over to Phoenix to come attend this conference, and, yep. um, and it was awesome. It kind of was the, the starting point for Allbound to really, you know, develop a name for itself. So we were a little bit early to be doing a conference, and you know, would I do it again that early? Maybe, maybe not. But um, but it was, if anything, we had a, we had a ton of fun there. It was a ton of fun. It was, a, and and you know, like a lot of people that I met, like I met Jared Fuller there, and I'm still connected yeah. with Jared Fuller. You yeah. Know? And so uh, a lot of people that we met from, from there. a little bit of like before that partnership was just kind of like, blah, you know, yes. we kind of like yes. turned the tables on partnership. Partnership kind of became cool. You yeah. know, now it's like there's 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 a community you guys have built. There's guys like yeah. Jared. There's a lot of folks who have made partnership and you know not necessarily channel but just like partnerships uh, in, in general yeah i mean there, there's general, a, a like, ton of investment in the space now yeah yeah there's a lot of players out there i mean when we were first getting into the whole prm thing i think there was maybe us and two or three other players who did yes. not like me one bit for coming and stepping on their lawn <laughs> now there's, there's probably a couple dozen yeah because you guys were out marketing everybody. That was yeah, marketing. I, mean, I remember we had one competitor. They sure remain nameless. Start with an I and end with an R. They chased us out of. They chased us out of a, a, a conference west. They got really upset that we went and oh man um, and attended their session. So they they cornered us and chased us out and tried to That's get right. them to us back. All all fun in time. all is startup fun, you know. Fun times, man. Category creation. Perfect. Well, Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show, and uh, best of luck on your journey. Thanks, Asher. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.